Good morning. You can go ahead and take your Bibles so you can be caught up. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 21 this morning. Isaiah chapter 21. I come to this message today, and I need to tell you that, first of all, I put this message to bed Tuesday night before the events of the last five days happened in Dallas and around our country. And yet I see... I see why God pulled this together at this time. Most, many people don't care for prophetic messages. But it is the word of the hour and the word of the day and the word that's needed. If you will stand, we will begin by reading three short verses of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 21, we begin in verse 6. The prophet writes, For the Lord has said to me, Go. Set a watchman, and let him declare what he sees. Then down in verse 11. The burden against Dumai. Dumai is probably an area occupied by the descendants of Ishmael. And he calls to me out of Seir, and that's from the Edomites. And here's the call. Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? The watchman says, the morning comes, and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire. Return. Come back. A message today, go ahead, Cole, a message today entitled, What of the Night? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that for the next few moments, I pray that you will crack our hard hearts, that you will lance our calloused hearts, that you will melt our cold hearts. And I pray that more than anything else, your Holy Spirit will invade this building and invade our lives that we can see the message that you are so clearly given to us during these days in this country. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Having read those couple of scriptures, I am well aware that it would be easy for you to say, what in the world kind of text is that? For 21st century, self-sufficient, got it all together, really good people. What kind of message is that? I mean, after all, in the 21st century America, the pulpit has come to be expected to be the place of how-to messages. How to have a good marriage. How to be happy. Or how-will messages. How will I find that right mate? How will I find that right job? Or better than that, what's in it for me messages? If I give my life to the Lord and to the church, what is in it for me? Now, I'm not criticizing my brothers who stand in the pulpit or anybody else. What I am saying is if you scan across America, you will find that is the basic expectation of the pulpit. And I find myself today in kind of a peculiar position. I've been in this this job for six months. For the last 25 years, I have basically preached as a pastor 
to the same group of people week in and week out. Now, I say the same group of people. You do have the uh, um, uh, musical chairs. People come in and go out. People decide to take a vacation. People decide to get mad, stay home. You add a few. You take, but basically the same group of people. So when, when uh, discussing topics like this, I could do series. I could stretch out the uh, subject. But now it's different. Now I preach as a pulpit supply. I preach as an um, associational missionary. I preach sometimes as a church consultant. And yet I've never felt more passionate about this message because in the position that I hold now, I have watched over the past six months and I have seen our culture on a greased banister to destruction and degradation and even disintegration. And I do that... And in the course of this time, I've really heard one message from our outgoing Southern Baptist Convention President, Ronnie Floyd, who said, the stakes have never been higher. Couple that with my favorite preacher. Now I've gone on to be with the Lord. His name is Vance Havner. If you know Vance, you know that he's the master of the one-liners. He has a sharp, quick wit. And he, and he was a prophet in his own times. I have 20 of his books in my library. And frequently I take one of his books and I read it devotionally alongside of, of God's Word. And it is those, it is those, it, it happens to be those two resources that have brought me to this place of this heartache and even this heartbeat for today. All of that's introduction. I want you to hear this next phrase because this is where we're running around today. In the timeline of humanity, in the timeline of humanity, we are in the ninth inning and two outs. If you don't like the baseball analogy, we are in the fourth quarter and the two-minute warning has sounded. You don't like that? We're on the 18th hole, and it's Sunday afternoon. You don't like that? Just think about your calendar. Sunday, the first day of the week. Saturday, the last day of the week. We're in Saturday night, and midnight's approaching. The handwriting is literally on the wall. And nobody can even see the handwriting, or few people see the handwriting, let alone read it. You say, Brother Jerry, you're kind of coming like Mr. Negative. Again, I didn't, this didn't come out of what happened the last part of this week, but that should serve to wake us up. You look over the past couple of years and you see people beheaded just because they're sitting in a pew, just because they're worshiping God. A few weeks ago, we had a furor on social media about killing an a gorilla. Now, folks, I'm not insensitive to that. But in the five days following that gorilla being shot, 600 Christians were killed off the coast of Greece. 5,000 babies were aborted, and the furor was over a gorilla. 
have we lost our bearings? The interesting thing is, while all of this is going on around us, by and large, the church has remained silent. By and, there's a few notable exceptions. By and large, the church, people who claim the name of, of Christ, have become either living in Amos chapter 6 where they're at ease in Zion or in Isaiah 56 where they simply say, tomorrow will be like today, only more of it. And some of you are saying, well, what's your point, Brother Jerry? Here's my point. These things are signs that the end is near. That Jesus is coming. Now I will tell you, we used to preach about the second coming and people would get wide-eyed. Today, when you say Jesus is coming again, you can hear people rolling their eyes in their head and they're going, oh yeah, we've heard that before. Listen, you know why? I know that it's closer than it's ever been. Matthew 25, Jesus says, and when you are not expecting it, it's going to happen. Jesus is coming again. And the telltale truth is this. Preachers preach about the second coming. And people are not even phased. Either we've become callous to the message or we've been lulled into a drug-induced sleep from which we need to be awakened. Paul writes and he says, it is high time that we're awakened out of our sleep. Forty years ago, Gordon Jensen, a friend of mine, wrote these words, signs of the times are everywhere. Today, we can take a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other and we can hold them up. Now, please listen. You're going to miss this. And what is being written here today was written here 2,000 years ago. And what was written 2,000 years ago is being fulfilled in the paper today. I ask you this question, what of the night? That is the question in the Bible. So the way I want to unpack this for us is you already see one of them up there. I want to talk about the reality of the night and then we will end with the reliability of the watchman. The, re- the reality of the night. Let's just talk about that a second. Let's just kind of unpack the night. The, wa- the question comes to the watchman. Watchman, what of the night? It's like a radio call on a, um, on a police channel. What of the night? What, the, what of the night? And when we say that, somebody goes, what are you talking about? What's going on in the night? What is happening in the night? What, is, what does the night look like? So let's just take a minute and look at, look at the night. Most of us, I could ask these girls right here, most of us know that the night is dark. It's dark. Did you realize that God did not have to create the darkness? Did you realize that? If you go back to Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth. God did not have to create darkness, because darkness is simply the absence of light. When, when you turn the lights off and the darkness pervades, you get to thinking about darkness spiritually. 
And it, since it means the absence of light, the very reason that Jesus came to the earth was He came as the life and light of the world. Because in the Garden of Eden, when we became disobedient, darkness settled over mankind. What of the night? What's going on in the night? What's happening in the night? I want you to think about it just for a second. It's midnight in America. But don't get too comfortable. It's midnight in Loosedale. I love being here. South Mississippi is my home. My wife will tell you that moved in. I've just seen people that I've known for 30 or 40 years. I'm back home. But make no mistake, it's midnight in our area, in our counties. 60% lost rate. I'm told by community leaders, drug problem out the wazoo. That may not be good pulpit terminology, but it's accurate. Pregnancies out of wedlock. I could go on and name. It's midnight in Loosedale. For the person who has the eyes to see, you know what we see? We see that we have national and international, social and political, as well as, as, well as spiritual darkness. We have moral darkness. We have personal darkness. And all we have to do to affirm that, to figure that out... Is turn. Now, if you've got your Bible, would you do this with me? Would you turn to 2 Timothy? It's in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 is on the screen. This is the new uh, King James Version. But you can read it in your Bible. But know this, that in the last days... Perilous times will come. Now, we're going to hold that screen there a second because I want to talk about perilous because we don't really, we haven't, we don't use that word. Perilous literally means a difficult time will come, a dangerous time will come. The Greek word there can be translated as the word fierce time will come. Now, let, let, me, let me give you another place this was used. Do you remember in, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus and the disciples came on the shore in the land of Gadara, and they found who we call the Gadarene demoniac? Do you remember that? And, they, and it says that no one could come that way because this man was so fierce. In other words, it was dangerous. He would kill you. That's the word perilous, fierce. Look around what's going on in our world today. And if you think, if you think that because we've had religious liberty in the past, that it's guaranteed in the future, you might want to educate yourself to some of the things that's going on with our government right now. It will not be long before the preacher has to run his sermons by the government or face jail. For me and mine, I will wind up behind bars probably before I retire. Fierce times. Perilous times. Dangerous times. Do I need to illustrate 
We've watched over the years as people are beheaded. We've watched over the years in our country in the last two years. And we have seen Charleston. We have seen Dallas. And I just want to say this to you. It doesn't matter. I don't know what your persuasion, what you particularly theology is about a race and racism. For me, we dealt with it when I was in high school so it's not an issue for me, but I want to tell you before God, it doesn't matter whether it's white on white, black on black, black on white, white on white, red on yellow, yellow on white, it doesn't matter. Every person is made in the image of God, and when one person is murdered, it's too many. We live in a fierce culture. The darkness is on us. The reality of the night. Now, now I don't have time to go through this whole thing and really, as we get back to this Second Timothy, that's just verse 1. Go ahead, if you will, Cole. Here's verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves. Characteristics of the day, lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents. Now, let me just stop there. Men will be lovers of themselves, boasters, and proud. I am so tired of this, of this little deal right here. You know what? If we got what we deserved, we would get hell. But we're proud. We're arrogant. We're boasters. Lovers of money. Have you ever seen a time... People my age and older, I think I just broke your microphone, Philip. Whatever it is, it is. You'll have to fix it later, buddy. It's gone. (laughs) Yeah, I can hear it working, yeah. Here's what I want to say to you. Is that, have you ever seen a time when people voted their pocketbooks as opposed to their convictions? Have you ever seen it? And it's not just recent, and it's not just in this despicable presidential election this year. I'm talking about for the last quarter of a century. We are reaping what we have sown. Lovers of money, blasphemers, putting Allah in the same category with Jehovah God, having a a celebrity on television going, there's got to be more than one way to heaven. That is blasphemy in the face of God. Disobedience to parents. I'm getting terrible with the kids if I do this. But may I say this to all our children? The Bible tells you to do one thing. Obey your mother and father. That's all it says. It doesn't say you have rights. It doesn't say you have privileges. You have what they tell you because your responsibility before God is to obey your parents. Unthankful. How many commercials do you hear that, that you need to get the computer you deserve, the car you deserve, the mate you deserve? And we're never thankful for what we get. Unholy. And nobody's perfect. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. Look move the tongue into the same category as some of these despicable things. Without self-control, brutal despisers of good today. If you are paying attention, what used to be bad is now okay, if not expected. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I was thinking, I was this morning sitting in my recliner reading through this message, and when I read that, you know what it dawned on me? I wonder how many people in the church, particularly in the South, invest as much 
in God's work every year as they do their vacations. Having a form of godliness, just a form of godliness, attending church, attending Sunday school, but denying its power. Dear folks, we are walking and living in the darkness. Now, there's one last thought I will say before I pass on the darkness. I want you to picture with me an event that you know very well in the Bible. It's Jesus' last night before his crucifixion. Called his disciples around and they ate. Then he identified Judas as the traitor. And he said, go do what you must do. And the scriptures record that Judas went out. And then it was night. Here's the truth. Anytime you walk away from Jesus... Anytime you walk out on Jesus, anytime you turn your back on Jesus, night falls. It is night time. I could continue speaking for the rest of this message, and I know what time it is. But here's what I want to say to you. Night is frightening and dangerous. My last music position is on almost 30 years ago now, we carried a group of teenagers from church in Pensacola to a rural church in Mississippi to sing. Doug's probably done this dozens of times also. You get there and you sing in concert, and then you go to the homes of the people. Well, this was rural Mississippi. Most people in Loosedale and Pensacola and Mobile, most people have not seen darkness. But there was darkness out there. There were no night lights. There were no yard lights. There were no street lights. When the light went off, it was dark. And the kids were scared to death because they didn't know what was in the darkness. Brothers and sisters, that's why Isaiah said, Set up a watchman. God told Isaiah, therefore go and set up a watchman. I ask you right now, before we kind of get on the downhill run, what of the night? How's the night working for you? Some people will say it's working fine because they like this idea in America that we're living in the last verse of Judges where everybody does what's right in their own mind. And there are never no rules, nobody calls them out. When I look at verse 6, For thus has the Lord said to me, Go set a watchman, and let him declare what he does. I want you to think about that watchman. You can go ahead, Cole. I want you to think about that watchman just for a second. And I want you to see the reliability of the watchman. In days of old, in the days which we read, Assyria, Babylon, Israel, Judah, all understood this concept of watchman because they put a watchman on the corner post to walk the wall to survey the area. I was thinking about this, reminded of a classic movie. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend movies. We've seen it all over 
things like YouTube and other places. Few good men. Jack Nicholson's on the on the witness stand, and he says, "In places that you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall, and you can't handle the truth." And I think those words today is this: a country wants us on the wall. They need us on the wall. And they have trouble handling the real truth. Do you? The watchman. We need a faithful watchman. But there are many false watchmen. How do you, what does he mean a false watchman? A false watchman is someone who has the position to deliver the message. But doesn't have the passion to deliver the message. The false watchman is the one that has the message and refuses to become a messenger. The false watchman is the one that knows about the times, but not about the time of his coming. The false watchman is the one that, that is unmoved with the urgency of the gospel, unmoved by the lostness, unmoved by the reality of the darkness, unmoved by the certainty of the hell. And let me just shock everybody. You know who the false watchman can be? It can be a preacher. It can be a pastor. It can be a staff person. It can be a Sunday school teacher. It can be a deacon. It can be a pew sitter. It can be anyone who claims to know Christ, claims to have been transformed by the power of Christ, and, and, and having made that claim, they refuse to take a stand and tell what they know. Are you a watchman? I'm going to give you three characteristics. One of you back up, Cole, please. There you go. There's the first one. Three characteristics of the watchman, please. First, the watchman serves the Almighty. That means he's committed to one Lord, one Master, one faith, one baptism. It means that he is serving no one else. When I think of a pastor, I think that the pastor, how many of the guys that I know are really wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to give messages that cut at the heart of what's going on, but they're afraid to. They're pulled by their churches. They're pulled by the culture to give feel-good messages. And here's what I want to say, is that serving the Lord in a holy and uncompromised way rarely involves giving people what they want. It's giving people what they need. People want to be made to feel good. God wants them to feel holy. People want to feel good in their rebellion. God wants them to feel good in their repentance. You look at all the characters in the Bible. Peter, James, John, Paul, John the Baptist, and you will find that they were such watchmen that they lost their lives over serving the Almighty. And God has called every person in this building to be a watchman. He's called us. First call is to be saved. Calls you to Himself. Calls you to repent of your sin. Causes you to invite Him into your life. Calls you to serve Him. We need to be sure. Paul says examine yourself to make sure that you're saved. 
and serving the Almighty. The second characteristic, not only does he serve the Almighty, the second one is that he sees the area. When they put that watchman on the wall, he had a bird's eye view of what all was going on because the watchman is the line of defense against the enemy. Folks, could it be that the reason that the darkness is pervading and the enemy is getting such a control over our land is that the watchmen are not on the wall or either we're on the wall and we don't see the area. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, the Bible says. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is the power and rulers of the darkness. who And those are orchestrating the darkness that pervades this land. We don't need to disengage from culture, but we must be like the men of Issachar who understood the times. We must unveil the truth. We must unveil the hope. We're living in a land that's abandoned truth. Our land is not growing darker because the darkness is more pervasive. Remember, darkness is the absence of light. And the only way darkness gets darker darker, is for the light to dim. We have to be the shining light of the gospel. And I believe it's right here. Please listen to me first, Lucille. I believe it's right here that we see the area because I know this church. I know the heart of this church. I know the heart of most of the churches in this association already. And I have not ran across a church in this association. Actually, I have not run across a Baptist church yet who when presented with a valid need would not go the extra mile to meet that need. It's important that we see that the need is to give the gospel. Got a call. I'm winding this down, so hang on. I got a call this week. We've been trying to sell our house. You've been praying, not quite hard enough. We've been through two times that we thought we were supposed to close. and didn't get there. We're supposed to close this Friday, so let's all pray and make it happen this week, okay? I was out of town taking care of our place up there. Got a call from a pastor in the association. I know what y'all just going through, and I don't, want, I don't want to rub a wound, but I know that Loosedale, we just lost the election for wet and dry. But I, was, I got a call this week that it's being floated now to bring the wet and dry issue to the county. Do you know how to close down bars? Do you know how to take alcohol out of grocery stores? If you reach people with the gospel, it'll drive their thirst. And if there's no thirst, there's no market, and it goes away. Heard a preacher in Dallas say, this is a church problem that's going on here because the church has not engaged the culture and lived out Christ for them. We need to see the area. We need to see what's going on. And then the last thing here, the watchman needs to sound the alarm. We need to sound the alarm. Verse 6, he says, go set a watchman and let him declare... Let him report. Let him announce what he sees. 
200, 250 people here today. The ball is in our court. We've been given a divine directive. We have been identified as the ambassadors of Christ. So it stands to reason that in the land of darkness, we are the watchmen. So I ask you, what do you see today? When you look around, what what do you see? Do you see a country, a community, a, a culture that's honoring our Lord, that's living for our Lord, that's following Jesus, that's teaching and training these precious boys and girls to do the same? Or do we see a land that is becoming increasingly dark? If we do, what are we doing about it? Are we going to sound the alarm? Are we going to remain silent? As I end this message, I ask you, are you in God's family? I don't mean have you walked an aisle and got baptized. That isn't what I ask. I'm asking, is your life best you know? Showing Jesus to a world that so desperately needs Him. For the sake of time, I'm not going to... I'm not going to ask you to turn here. It's going to be on the screen. If you have accepted Jesus, this is for you. If you haven't, today I call you, I invite you to invite Jesus into your life and heart. Trust Him. I want to close out with reading from Ezekiel. This is the message for us. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I, God, bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning if the sword comes and takes him away, His blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes the warning will save his life. But if the watchman, us, sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, America, George County. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them For me, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require 
at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Go ahead, call. You see us being a watchman doesn't just save somebody else. It saves our own soul. Do you know Christ? Are you a watchman? Are you doing what He's called you to do? If not, why not? Why not come to Him? Not to me, Brother Doug, or somebody else. Why don't you come to Him today? And come clean and let Him direct your steps. What of the night? I think the jury's still out. We know the bad stuff that's going on, but we know we serve a God who can shine the light into the dark. Let's pray together.